getting this getting the yawn out of the way. I know. I know, I know, I know. And I was trying to find information on the web. I saw a little clip. Somebody said something about a fire at a Walmart distribution center in Indy earlier today. So, but I can't find any quark, that word, corroboration. Um, so I'll keep looking. But anyways, because that just means groceries take longer. You know how that goes. I really, for the Zachary, I need you to not tonight. I love you, but I need to keep my mind on what I'm doing. Hey, did you get my verses? Okay. Yeah, okay, cool. Cool. Thought I'd try it. I don't normally give him verses. I don't even ever give him a title. He asked me last night, and then I forgot. So I remembered this afternoon, and then on the way home, I thought, oh, I can give him a scripture, I bet. Yeah. Until we move back into the little room, and then I won't have that anymore. Okay. Although, I should be able to hook something up to that screen in there. See, technology is with us everywhere. And yet, I have paper. Paper. Paper, because I didn't memorize it. And I knew I would get here and I would forget something. Now, you're in luck, since, you know, tomorrow being what it is. I see lots of green in the room. Y'all are ahead of the game. Green, 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 green. Um, you're in luck. Because I only have seven and a half pages, and that means short, right? You remember, it's the inverse. Two, three pages long, seven, eight pages short. Yeah, don't, don't speak it. You don't want to speak it. Okay, tonight we're going to talk about the approachable Jesus. The approachable Jesus. We are just starting to really get used to not being wearing masks at work. And on mo this coming Monday, we finally lose masks in our classrooms. So that's all starting to kind of open up for us, thank goodness. I know they're still in healthcare settings and things. But most of you have seen there's been a real consequence, I think, at least from what I'm seeing at work, of people being behind masks for two years. And there's this separation, this you stay where you are and I'll stay where I am. And we still have some folks at work who wear them, which is their right to choose to do. But when you see them, you feel like you shouldn't go talk to them because they're trying to, right? That's just the feeling because they're trying to stay away. They're trying to be unapproachable. There was a point. We have this, this thing right now about being unapproachable. Now, it was never a problem for me. I had masks on, they had masks on, and I still got them in a conversation in the Walmart line. Now, they didn't always want to talk to me, but I think sometimes it was a matter of if I would just talk to her, maybe she'll go away. Um, <clears throat> but generally speaking, it's, it's created distance. It's created distance that we really didn't want. That wasn't the intention. It was supposed to be about protection, you know, whatever. But that wasn't the intention, but that's what's happened. And it's not just at work. It's not just at, you know, school. It's kind of everywhere. And those of us who are already a little unsociable before are even more so maybe now. Right. So I couldn't tell you the name of my neighbors. Oh, well, on one side, I have the animal clinic. I could tell you that. But I don't know the name of the, the man and woman that lives next door. But Aunt Janice and Mom know them. They've met, they've talked, they've conversed. I've waved. Yeah, I've waved a couple of times. And, uh, you know, said hey, kind of through the window. But we just, we're not real, some of us aren't real sociable. And then sometimes we're like that at church, too. Or youth rallies, or ladies' retreats or whatever the case may be. 
And as Christians, we are always trying to find ways to be more like Jesus. So that's why we're going to talk about the approachable Jesus. I'm not saying you've got to hug everybody, because don't try. I might push you away. Just saying. Um, please don't invade my space for a conversation. You know, there's, there are benefits to wearing hats, especially ones with brims. People can't get too close to you. They can only get so close, okay? Just saying, something that I've learned over time. We're going to take a look at some of the events in Jesus' life from birth to the end that remind us of this particular character of his. Because he was kind. He was gentle. He had opportunity and he had occasion to be maybe not so gentle, and he did that. But there are definitely occasions throughout his life where he showed kindness and gentleness and it, it really amplified this idea that he was approachable. Our key text is going to be in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 7. And when we read them, oh, you are so good. Verse 3 is really the one we're going to key in on. But verses 1 through 7. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens, and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee. And will give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now, Parts of the scripture do talk about the judgment of Jesus. We know that he will be our judge. Um, we, see there, we see them here, and if you read other scripture, like in Revelation and other places, you see about the judgments of Jesus. Um, you see him riding on a white horse of victory, dealing out justice to enemies. Um, here in Isaiah, we see both. We see it talking about his justice, but we also see it talking about his gentleness. Especially in verse 3, a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. We see both aspects of him here. Now, when Isaiah was written, he, he had, hadn't come yet, right? He hadn't been born yet. So, when Isaiah was written, he had one coming. He was born in person. And then he has another coming coming. That was actually grammatically correct, but it sounded really bad. Another coming, coming. He's got two. And in one of them, the earthly one, we see the approachable, gentle Jesus. And then in the second one, we're going to get the judge. Okay, we know that that's, we know how that's going to work. Okay, Isaiah said that a bruised reed he will not break. This description is very vivid. It gives us a picture. If you think about, I was thinking about Sister Allison's plants, actually, when I was reading this. She's got plants everywhere. Bless her heart. I kill them. She grows them. And if you crush the stalk of a plant, you break, not just break it, but I'm talking, you know how they can get mangled up. It will cause them to die. Now, you can nurse it back, and you can tape it up, and I'm sure there's other things you can do to it. Maybe put a stick and like hold it up and probably give it extra food. And I don't know. There's things you could do to try to keep it alive. But a lot of people, you see that broken thing. Oh, I'll just get rid of it. It's already dying. I'll just go ahead and get rid of it. And I'm not a reed. You're not a reed. Okay, we're not reeds. But people get broken just like that. Doesn't mean we're dead, 
but we are probably on the way, right? We're in that broken state, and somebody comes along with harsh words or a bad attitude or actually does something to us that just completely wipes us out and kills us. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who's going to not break that reed. He's going to try to help nourish it and nurture it and help it to grow. He will gently nourish, nurture, heal, and restore. Same with the other part, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. That fire that's just about to go out. You know, it's, it's starting to smoke. And there's just those little crinkly things going on in there. It's real easy to just let that die. Or it's easy to put that out completely, throw some dirt on it, throw some sand on it, whatever you're going to do. Or you can also give it some more uh, wood. You can give it whatever you're going to burn. You can build it up again. Same idea. He's not going to just snuff that out. He's going to help it grow again. Okay? This is another way of saying the same thing about the reed. You ever tried to light a match and it's windy outside and you're you're doing everything you can to protect it, right? You're you try to get it, you get your hand around it, or you try to get up close to the house maybe and try to keep the wind off of it cuz you're trying to protect it. That's who Jesus is. He's the only perfect person who ever lived. And that's a drag. It's pretty sure I was one of them, but wasn't the case. Wasn't the case. He was the only one who ever lived I can admit it, you know, along with the rest of you. But he didn't act that way. He wasn't holier than thou, the way we see him in scripture. That's not how he was portrayed as I'm better than you and you can't approach me and how dare you. I've actually known preachers who've been that way. We had one come and preach for us one time. Long, long time ago. I shall not say his name since this is being recorded. Many, many moons ago. Great preacher. But that man was the most holier-than-thou person I've ever met in my life. Okay. Now, from what I hear now, he's not like that anymore. But in the day he was. And it just, it knocks, it knocks your opinion of them down a little bit. Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. He was holy. And he was holier than everybody. Okay, he was the only one who could have been holier than thou and gotten away with it. That's not who he was. He wasn't condescending. He wasn't judgmental in his attitude. I'm not saying he didn't judge people and tell them, hey, you need to knock this off. Okay, he did that. But he didn't do, you know what I'm talking about, that attitude. I get it, you get it, we've all had the attitude, the judgmental attitude. He wasn't prideful. He never rejected anybody who came to him. Ever. We see this from birth all the way to his death. So we're going to start, we're going to look at a few of these situations where people were able to approach Jesus. The first one is the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So we've got shepherds. These were the poor commoners. Okay, this is our version of the poor commoner. These are the people I most identify with in the group that we're going to look at today, I think. The poor commoners. He could have announced the birth of his son to anyone on earth, but he chose to send this heavenly choir to a group of shepherds. They weren't rich. They weren't powerful. They were common. Okay? He is showing us clearly that he is savior to all. Brother Rick preached, or taught, I should say, for a a period of time, a year or two ago, about um, 
about, about, about. There was a real thing there, and I've just lost it. Um, <clears throat> commoners. Jesus to all. Any person can come to him. And I, it must have been something you've said about the Pharisees at some point. Is probably what I was thinking, but I can't find it now in my head. He didn't have any qualifications or conditions about who was going to find out who he was. Not only was the announcement given to them, but they were invited to come and see Jesus. Because it said, you're going to find him in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. That means, come on over and see him. Okay? So, they're the commoners, and not only are they given the announcement, but they're invited over. I'm sure they didn't have lasagna, but they were there for, I'm sure they might have been, they were Christians, so, I mean, Jesus was there, there had been food involved somewhere, okay, let's be honest. The first visitors on the scene had nothing to offer. They didn't know this was coming, they didn't prepare ahead of time, because they didn't know what was going to happen, so they didn't have gifts, and gifts weren't required to come to Jesus. Gifts weren't required to find out that he had arrived. They were not necessary. Over and over, the word reminds us that we're not saved by works, but by grace. If, he, if they had said, oh, Jesus is born, come and visit, but make sure you bring up a present, well, that, that might have been a problem because these were just poor, common shepherds. Okay? Jesus welcomes the poor, the common, the ordinary. The poor can approach Jesus. He welcomes people as they are. They didn't need fancy clothes to approach God. They didn't have to pretend they were something they were not. They heard he was there and they went. He wanted them to go and see and receive this blessing of him being born. Jesus welcomes the poor. So that was the poor commoner. He was approachable from the time he was born. Okay. Then we get to the wise men in uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And then later on in verses 10 and 11, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And if you were at the Christmas program, you know all about gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? These visitors were different than the shepherds. These are the wealthy, rich foreigners, okay? The rich foreigner. All right, these aren't the common, poor, common, ordinary folk. These are the rich foreigners. The shepherds were Jews, They grew up exposed to scripture. These guys were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. So anybody who wasn't a Jew, right? God saves people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. The shepherds came from nearby. The wise men came from very far away. The shepherds were poor. The wise men were rich. The shepherds would have been uneducated. And the wise men would have been very highly educated. The events around this birth show us that he is approachable to everyone. Riches and education sometimes make it harder to come to Christ. Not necessarily. We want the doctors. We want the scholars. We want the high-paid lawyers. Jesus, we want the whatever, okay? They can come to Jesus. It just might be harder because there's that whole... It's hard to let, give over power to someone in your life when everything's going well for you. You know, we tend to, yeah. But it is possible, right? I know it says in Scripture, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And let me tell you, you Google that, and there are so many different theories about what that means. Oh, my word. Um, one of them just finally said, it's probably just preposterous. A real camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. Well, obviously, there was more to it than that. 
Um, <clears throat> it was preposterous. But it, no matter which theory you subscribe to, it was difficult. Okay, but possible, but possible. He welcomes the educated. Thank the Lord. You don't have to have a degree to serve God. You don't have to have a degree to be a preacher. You don't have to have a degree to be a pastor. You don't. I mean, we have pastors in our fellowship who have degrees and have education and things like that, but it's not required. You don't need to get a degree to understand Jesus or understand the word. You don't need a degree to understand or believe, even believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, sometimes that does get in the way. That does make it a little hard. Sometimes the educated only want to believe stuff they can see and touch, and then then that kind of gets difficult. But it's not required. But if you have one, great. Bring it. Bring it along. Use your education for God. We'll, We'll take it. We've got Sunday school to be taught. We've got Bible studies to be taught. We've got adults who need the word. We've got all kinds of things that we could do with your education. Okay? Ooh, if somebody out there has a, gets a degree in like early childhood education or elementary education, bring it on. Okay? Because we're talking church school down the road. Okay? Which I shall not be a part of. I will gladly support with my funds. I will support with my funds. I maybe help on the business side. I will help you advertise, but I'm not touching it with a 10-foot pole. Okay. I love all the children that are in the other end of the building right now with Sister Debbie Lamb. All of them. The events around his birth show that he was approachable to the rich and the educated. He welcomes your gifts, even though they're not required. He didn't require gifts of the shepherds. He didn't require gifts of the wise men. But they had them, so they brought them. If you have a gift, okay, I'm not saying riches. If you have a gift, you should use it, bring it to God. If you're not, you're wasting it, okay? And God didn't give you gifts to waste them. Use them for the kingdom. All right. I won't even bring up Sister Sandy's bacon again because I know she's been hearing it all the time. I'm trying to leave her alone, but it's just a good example of using your gifts for the kingdom. I'll just put that there. If you don't have any money to give him, you don't feel bad about that. Okay? He doesn't need your money. Now, I will promise you there are days when Sister Allison, as the church secretary, is in pastor's house saying, oh, God, we need the money, okay? Because we're human, and we see bills, and we see those things that come in the mail, or you get emails or whatever now. We need money to operate here, but God doesn't need your money. God can use the neighbor's money. God will give the church government money, okay? There are ways God will still take care of it. If you don't have it, fine. But if you do have it, bring it along, Everyone can approach, can approach him, whether you have a little or a lot. You come to him anyways. He welcomes those who are far away, rich or poor, educated, uneducated. You can approach God. So these were the people around the birth of Jesus. Then later on, in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we meet another man in Jesus' life. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou dost, except God be with him. Doosed. I can't help it. It's in my head. It's always going to be in my head now. Doosed. (laughs) So this is Nicodemus. Now in this particular lesson, we're going to look at Nicodemus as an example of the fearful person. It says that he came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. They weren't big fans of the big JC. Okay, they just weren't big fans of him, right? They were a thorn in Jesus' side. They opposed his ministry every step of the way. Nicodemus is one of these people, and he comes to Jesus at night. He's curious about who Jesus is. He wants to know more 
But he's not brave enough to come out in the middle of the day where people can see him and associate with Jesus. And so he's showing this, this fear. He's the definition of that faintly burning wick. It's kind of hidden. It's, it's got a little curiosity, but it's afraid to really show and, and, and uh, burn brightly. He's also afraid. How would we have approached this? I mean, some of us would have got upset at him and said, what, are you a coward? Are you afraid of, me, of somebody? You afraid of, I don't know, those guys had some strange names. You afraid of so-and-so down the road there? Should a leader like you be skulking around in the shadows? Come back when you have a spine. I mean, there's a lot of ways, okay, that he could have approached it. I know because I've had those attitudes towards people. What do you mean you're not willing to get up there and do X, Y, Z? It's two minutes. Just stand up and do a thing and sit back down. Well, I'm afraid. Well, good grief. Get over it. That's not how Jesus approached it because that's not who he was. We're trying to be more like him, the fearful or somebody else that we need to approach like that wick that's just faintly burning. Instead of pushing at it and snuffing it out altogether, we need to help it burn brighter. If Jesus had reacted harshly, he would have extinguished that wick. Instead, he kindly received Nicodemus. He patiently answered his questions, and that's a whole different virtue that we ain't touching. You know, we skipped it in leadership last night, too. We didn't talk about patience. It was in the book. We didn't talk about it. Um, And I'm not talking about it tonight, either, because that's a rough one. Instead of rebuking, he nurtured him. Gentleness and regular encouragement proved to help this man more than a strong command ever would have. And that's how Jesus reacted to him. He was gentle. He received him. Gracious answering his questions in the middle of the night. Now, I probably also may not have even talked to him. Because I might have said, I didn't know you were going to call me, so I ain't answering. I didn't know you were coming by my house. I ain't opening the door. Mm Mm-mm. No. But there Jesus was, being all approachable. Oh, these are some hard stuff, okay? Maybe easy for all of you, but some of this this is a little hard for me. Later, when the rest of the Pharisees are condemning Jesus to death, Nicodemus is now ready to stand up bravely and actually um, make a stand for Jesus. Okay, we see that come out later when he's saying, wait, no, 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 we need to hear him out before we do this. Now he's ready to make that stand. It was Jesus' compassion and kindness that let him grow enough to get to the point where he was no longer afraid, where now he was brave. So Jesus welcomes the fearful. Even when we should be be mature and know better, he is still patient with us. So we've had the poor commoner, the rich foreigner, the fearful. Now we're looking at the Samaritan woman. This is John chapter 4. Verses 7 through 10. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Right? To buy meat. They didn't go to buy some... Okay, no, I'm not even going to go there. (sighs) Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asks drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Then later on down in 25 and 26, the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So in this moment, he actually speaks out and says, I am the Messiah, okay, to this woman who is the outcast sinner. This one is the outcast sinner. You know, those people who we go to the other side of the street to walk by, and if you're saying, I would never do that, I'm telling you, 
be careful how often you say that in the house of God. Maybe you didn't go all the way to the other side of the street. But we've all been guilty of it. Just not sure about you. So I'm going to walk around you. I'm going to try to not, I'm not going to look at you in Walmart over my mask. I'm not going to make eye contact. I'm going to go another way. I didn't see them. I never talked to them. This is that woman. She was not somebody you would expect Jesus to make this pronouncement to. I mean, she has three strikes against her already. First, she's a woman. The rabbis of Jesus' day didn't value women or consider that they were worth spending time on to teach. This shows us that he had a different attitude towards women, which we already knew, too, because several of his followers were women. Okay. Number two, she was a Samaritan, hated by the Jews. Duh. And then number three, she was an adulteress. Okay. Not only did the Jews look down on her people, but her own people looked down on her. Jesus came out to the well at the sixth hour, which I believe was around noon, right? It started at six, so six hour would be around noon. It's hot, hottest part of the day. Not the time you would really want to go and get water from the well because it's too hot. You want to wait till it cools off some. And she was already there. Maybe she was there because there wouldn't be a lot of people there because it's the hottest part of the day, so she didn't have to worry about being shunned by anybody. And she's there alone. So here's Jesus. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. The Pharisees would have had a big banquet. They would have invited all the important people. They'd have made a big public speech if one of them was something as grand as the Messiah. Okay. But here he is talking to a lowly sinner, somebody who's completely outcast from all society, and saying, I'm the Messiah, revealing himself to her. She was the most undesirable person, and he tells her this. He didn't come to judge the sinner or condemn. He came to offer her salvation. Doesn't mean that when he returns, she wouldn't have been judged if she hadn't changed her ways, okay? But at the time, he was there to offer her some hope. Offer her hope. We're not always real good at offering hope. We want to fix, I guess is a good way to say it. We want to lay out a plan for them. Well, if you would do this and this and this, and then make this list and do this tomorrow, and then next week do this, maybe you can work your way out of the situation. And you wouldn't have to live like this. That's not who Jesus was. He was there to give her hope. Give herself, give her living water. He came to offer a way that every single person could come to God. He was that approachable. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was willing to talk to and be friends with everyone. He welcomes sinners and you or the person in your family or that neighbor down the street, you are not too sinful to come to Jesus. You're not too sinful to come to Jesus. By his grace, every sinner can approach a holy God. He is that approachable. Sorry, I got to take a drink. Okay. So that one was the outcast sinner. And that's never been any of us, has it? I'm just saying, right? Just saying. Then we've got the blind man. The blind man. This is Luke chapter 18, verses 38 and 40. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So he's yelling at Jesus. You know, he's begging, basically, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Oh, but don't you have to wail and fast for a couple weeks and spend three or four services in the altar and go through a couple boxes of Kleenex and leave frustrated for a while and... 
Lord, that I may receive thy sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. So here is the nuisance. The blind man is the nuisance. He won't leave Jesus alone. And he's not very valued by society because he's blind. Okay? He's a beggar, basically. People considered him to be a nuisance. And when, they try, when he tries to call out to Jesus, the people around him actually rebuke him and tell him to be quiet. Jesus is too important. He's busy right now. He doesn't have time for you. You're an outcast. You, you probably are a sinner because you're blind. And I'm sure your parents were all sinners because you're blind, which is absurd. And, you know, we don't have time for you. Quit yelling to Jesus. Now, we'll say, this one's probably one of my hardest ones. I'm not the biggest child, children person. I'm just not. Okay? And I understand that they need love and compassion and attention, which I have a very little of most of those and the patients I'm not even going to mention because I just don't have it and they're I won't lie to me a lot of times I'm like you are a nuisance I I don't think I've ever said that to them but I have no doubt that I've been a little short with them to the point where they felt it and they ran away because they want they want to just follow you everywhere they want to ask you all these questions and sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with you know bible study or anything they're just they're there all the time. <clears throat> you just laugh. But you love them because they're your grandbabies and your kiddos. Just saying, Sister Jessica. Um, so that's what, that's what this guy was like. Okay? Now, he's an adult, and, you know, but he's blind. He's not a contributing member to society. He's not able to perform any kind of function that seems to help anybody. And here he is trying to take the master's time. How dare you? You know, step away. Be quiet. But yet, Jesus heard him. He didn't just hear him and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just leave him alone. He'll be fine. Let him go. No, no, no. He stopped. And then he goes, the busiest person in the world, he goes on this critical mission He's out to, right, we know he's out to affect every man, woman, and child for eternity. And he takes this moment to speak to one man who's been a nuisance to everybody. Useless to most, okay? But he's going to stop in that moment and make that man important. He's not a nuisance. That's why Sister Allison and Sister Haley and Sister Debbie uh, Warren and these people that teach, oh, Sister Debbie Lamb, these people that teach children, bless you. I'm very encouraged by the work you're doing, and I pray for extra workers, that God will bring extra workers for you all the time. <clears throat> New people to come and help you. Because the Lord, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Um, he takes the time, okay? This man was Jesus' ministry. Now, the crowd was too. People with him. There is ministry. The outcast sinner, the Samaritan woman, she was his ministry. The shepherds that only knew him as a baby, poor, common, ordinary shepherds, they were his ministry. The rich foreigners, the wise men who came to him two years later, after the nativity was over. I know we have to put it all in one spot to kind of capture it all in just in a visual. I get it, okay? But they came later. He, that, they were his ministry too, okay? So this man was his ministry. He was distressed. He needed help. He was a bruised reed, that bruised reed. And other people had no issue with trampling all over him to finish him off. Okay? They may not have been doing it physically, although being a blind man, they might have been doing it. Um, but Jesus was different. He sought to restore and heal what had been broken. 
So while the crowd tries to block access to Jesus, he wouldn't have any of it. He welcomes anyone and everyone, and he made time. He showed love and care when no one else would. So Jesus welcomes those others consider a nuisance. You are not a bother to Jesus. Even if Sister Sanchez's attitude sometimes makes you feel like you're a bother to her, it's not my intention, but Jesus does not think you are a bother or a nuisance, okay? He does not. Okay, then, takes us to the little children. Little children, Matthew, chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked him. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So this time we're looking at the insignificant. Even in that day, kids, insignificant. It's kind of like women, until you're grown. Now, if you were a boy, you were going to get some attention earlier on in life. But the children, they're insignificant. And this time, it's the disciples. It's not just the crowd, the people around him. It's the disciples. It's his own people. It's his own church. It's his own board of directors or his own leadership team, okay, that stops and, and says, you know, rebukes these children to stay away. Um, their master was the Messiah. He has this huge mission to save the whole world. So they were trying to protect him from being bothered or distracted. But Jesus steps in and says, no, let them come to me because the children were also his mission. They didn't distract him from his ministry. They were his ministry. His ministry was to people, rich, poor, sinner, outcast, nuisance, and insignificant. And even as adults, sometimes we act like the little children. Immaturity, childishness, um, asking questions we should know the answer to. God's told you no or don't do that. And we still, a couple weeks later, don't you think? God, I could really make something of this. You know, I could, no, stop. You know, put big red flags in, shutting doors in your face, and you still go and ask the questions. Okay? Just like kids. Oh, help us, Lord. <clears throat> We forget things that we have to be reminded of over and over. Don't get in that cabinet. Five minutes later, don't get in that cabinet. Five minutes later, shut the door to that cabinet. Don't be in that cabinet. God does that to us too as adults. I mean, we, he has to remind us over and over. The poor pastor. I'm sure there are times where he gets messages from God. God, I'll give him a word for Sunday. And it's got to be, seriously? God, didn't, didn't I just preach this to them the last nine months? do I have to preach it again? I mean, I know it's a different way. It's a different perspective this time, but do I have to tell them again? Okay. It's the same idea. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't reject us for being too childish and immature, just like he doesn't reject actual children. Okay. He lets us come to him. He embraces us. He prays for us. He opens his kingdom for us, just the things he did for these children. Jesus welcomes the insignificant. You might be unloved or unwanted by others. The world might not consider you worthy of their time and attention, but to Jesus, you're significant. And that's why he came. Then the last one we're going to look at was the thief on the cross. Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus, not Joshua. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This is the latecomer. This is the guy who shows up the last minute, hasn't been doing all the work at the church for the last 20 years, hasn't been helping with outreach, hasn't been helping with the fundraisers, hasn't been teaching Bible studies alongside of us, hasn't been helping with the choir. He slides in at the last minute. He's the latecomer. Okay. Now, I don't do late very well. I actually one time was taking the van from here. This was long before y'all. Because you probably would have been mad at me. But 
I had told the young people we're leaving at this time. And if you're not here at this time, you'll see the van driving away if you pull up. And I'm pulling out one side, and they have just pulled it, and they're trying to wave me down on the road. I mean, yes, I stopped and picked them up. I didn't, you know, I might have pretended to gun the van at them a little bit, but didn't hurt anybody. I did stop, but I, I'm not good with late, okay? This is the latecomer. So we've seen all the way throughout Jesus' life that he's approachable. He welcomed every type of person, and that didn't change even though he was now at the moment of his death. Okay. <clears throat> For most of us, when we're going through pain or sickness, we feel justified being a little bit selfish. Other people should care for me. We look out for ourselves, and we tune everything else out. I don't feel good, and so I don't have time for anybody else. It's a human thing, all right? It's, I think we go into protection mode. If anyone ever had a reason to do this, it's Jesus. He's hanging on a cross. He's getting ready to die. And he has already said he didn't want to, but he was doing it anyways. This is the will of God, okay? And he's still going to have this, now it was a short conversation. He didn't stop to teach the guy Bible study, okay? But he took the time to answer a question and to give this man his compassion and his love. Note his response. He doesn't tune him out and focus just on his own problems. He doesn't say, too late. You had your whole life to come to me. And now you want my blessing? After a life of rebellion? Forget it. You had your chance. Because remember... He deserved to be up there based on their justice system, okay? He was guilty of something. Him and the other guy on the cross said, you know, we deserve to be up here, but this Jesus guy, he doesn't deserve to be up here, okay? Jesus could have said, you know, how dare you? Forget you. You had your chance. But instead, he welcomes him into the kingdom. Jesus welcomes those who have wasted much of their lives. It's not too late for you to come to Jesus, you are not too used up for Jesus. Today you have a chance. Tomorrow there's no guarantee. But you have breath now. That's why now, today, is the day of salvation. So, almost in closing. <clears throat> you can come to Jesus because he welcomes everyone. He's approachable. And... As Christians, we need to try to get better at being approachable like Jesus. We sing those old songs, I want to be more like you, but not when I'm sick and in pain, Lord. I want to be more like you, but not when I'm in a hurry and those little kids won't leave me alone. I want to be more like you. But I've got to get these groceries bought. And I know that lady. I know what she's been doing all week. I'm, I don't want anybody associating me with her. So I'm going to go the other way. No, that's not what the songs say. I want to be more like you, Jesus. So we have to try it a bit better. None of us will ever be perfect at this. If you think you're going to be, get perfect at being like Jesus, I refer you to the first paragraph. This is, uh, he was the only perfect person on the planet. Okay. Um, so we, we both, we can come to Jesus because he's approachable for us, and we need to try to become better at being approachable by others. Okay, we have seen that Jesus is tender. Instead of breaking off that crushed reed or blowing out the dim candle, he nourishes and restores. And since we're supposed to be followers of Jesus, we need to learn to do the same. Many times we lack that word, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Go ahead and say it. Patience. No, Brother Rick's like, no, I ain't gonna say it. I ain't gonna say it. No, not me. It's just like she said, no. Um, <clears throat> we lack patience with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with our family members, with our neighbors, with the people in the store, which just reminds me. The people in the restaurants first of all, are not our servants. Secondly, they're not cooking your food. Thirdly, when the food is taking a long time, 
it's not their fault. And if you're rude to them, you are not being like Jesus. And you're being a bad ambassador of this church and of Jesus. Spotify, you're welcome. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. We harbor ill will because of past sins against us. Ooh, that's that whole forgiveness Bible study. We're not doing that one tonight, right? But, okay. Are we approachable? Like, Jesus, think about yourself. Too often we hang around with our own friends, and we don't go outside of our comfort zone to meet and welcome new people. I sometimes tend to scare people off, but that's okay. Here are a couple of practical tips. Number one, make up your mind to forgive someone who has hurt you in some way. Because if you're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness against somebody, you are unapproachable. And not just for them, but probably anybody in their family or anybody in their sphere, they're not going to want to approach you either because they know, people know this thing that's going on. Okay? And the other one is be welcoming to newcomers. In church, find someone new you haven't met and introduce yourself. We can also reach out to someone new, even if they're not here. Invite them for lunch. Pastor's been preaching this for two, three, three years now. Invite them for lunch or Coke or have them by your house, whatever. The weather's getting different. I was going to say nice. I'm just going to say different because I sweated all the way to the parking lot today saying I hate summer. I know it's only spring, but it already feels like summer to me. Um, but I'm seeing people out and about, right? On campus today, it was like a, something, a switch got flipped from yesterday to today. And suddenly they're everywhere. All these young adults, they're, they're everywhere. And they're group, you know, they're hanging out at the hammock or whatever. Have them over to your house to hang out in the backyard. I will wave at you from inside my air-conditioned living room. Okay? I will be nice from the AC, just saying. Invite them for lunch, invite them as. Okay. If your church would be like Jesus, if your church would be like Jesus, you would have a group of people who are all friendly, warm, compassionate. Everyone would feel loved, everyone would feel welcome, and everyone will feel cared for. And on the last note, I'm going to make a plug for the new welcome committee that Brother Pete Warren is heading up as he's dealing with the grandchild out the door. It was perfect timing. Um, <clears throat> and I would encourage you, if you're able to, to help them. Um, but please, if you do, don't be concerned and don't, wor- don't be afraid when he's going to say, please make sure you smile when people come in. Be nice. Zachary won't be on the welcoming committee. Um, just saying, um, but if you're going to, if you're going to be a part of that, this is your chance to practice being approachable like Jesus.